Now rocking with the best. Only two things can get you through this, man. Patience and persistence. Work harder than everyone. Be patient. And just know that if you're going to do something on your own, you're going to have to feel some pain. You're only the boss if you put up your own money. If you don't put up your own money, I don't care how much somebody gives you. You're nothing but a supervisor. It's not yours. It, it takes fearlessness to be first. You know, to not move with a crowd, to move alone. I stopped living according to what people wanted me to do. I started living according to what actually made me happy. If you're not happy, change your life. Allow me to reintroduce myself. The Culture Talks Podcast with your host, Carlos Stutzer. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. This is Kyle Stutzer back at it again with another episode of the Culture Talks podcast. And again, as I tell you every week, I'm back with a fire guest. You know, I haven't lied to you yet. I think it's been, shoot, maybe 80 weeks now, you know, maybe not in a row, but it's been 80 weeks nonetheless that I've told you guys that I'm going to come back with the fire guest. And today we have a very interesting guest, a very interesting topic and a very interesting business. And I'm I'm happy to talk with this gentleman here. And with that being said, go ahead, go ahead and introduce yourself to the people, brother. Yeah, Reggie Harris here. I am the uh, CEO and co-founder of, of Bubba Kush. Uh, we go by BK Brand Wellness, a CBD and legal cannabis company. Uh, we do some licensing work in that area and come from a good sports background is uh, leading myself to this position. I love it. I love it. Reggie, how are you feeling today? How's everything going over on that side of the screen? Man, I'm telling you, if I had known you, you was going to look that good, I'd be much different today. So it's all, it's all good now, man. I'm excited. Reggie, it's a facade. I promise you. I just got back from the gym. We just threw it. We, we threw a, we threw a fresh t-shirt on, you know, you know how it goes. Zoom calls yep. from, the, from the chest up, right? Yeah, right. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Well, listen, Reggie, today, I'm excited to have you on. Um, we have guests listening from different places, LA, New York, Kansas City, and I'm looking forward to them getting to know you a little bit better. So let's jump right into it. Let's start with your early life, Reggie. Where did you grow up? Um, what was that experience like? And let's just talk a little bit about your early life. Yeah, so interesting. I was born in a small town in uh, South Florida, outside of Vero Beach. Most people would uh, recognize Vero Beach from the Dodgers. That's where uh, spring training used to be for, for the Dodgers. They moved there when uh, Jackie Robinson started playing. Um, and that's what the town was known for. But I'm from a small town just outside of Vero called Gifford. Gifford is, has claimed the fame. Uh, an old buddy of mine used to make the comment that uh, if you're from Gifford, you're literally from the other side of the tracks. So in, in Vero, there was a track, and I'm dating myself a little bit, but in the early 70s when I was growing up, train tracks ran through what was basically the center of town. All the minorities lived on one side of the train tracks, and all the the, the majority, I'll call them, lived on the other side of the train tracks. So Gifford was on the other side of the tracks, which is where I was was from. Um, my dad was very, he was entrepreneurial, but in a community where entrepreneurship was not embraced. Most of the folks in that town were, we had the orange groves, uh, very blue collar. There was um, the, the trains, the groves, and then 
uh, there was an airplane plant also outside of town. So that's what most, most folks, that's where they went to work. Uh, my dad wanted to do something different. So he was in insurance sales. And, and my mom worked at the bank. And their whole thing was always about how to basically get out of living on the other side of the tracks. And uh, in my early teen years, we moved uh, a little bit north to Daytona Beach, Florida, and then ultimately ended up in, in Kansas City going into my freshman year of high school. Um, major culture shock going from... That's what I was going to so I was going to ask, what was that transition like, you know, especially at such a prime period in your life, you know, you're 14, 13, 14, 15 years old. That's our, you know, junior youth age where we're kind of transitioning into youth and then adulthood. So what was that experience like leaving the South? You know, a lot of people forget that even though Florida is the most Southern point, a lot of people don't associate Florida with the South. So coming from the South at that time into the Midwest, yeah. what was different? What was the culture like? Talk to me. Yeah, I, and I tell you, a lot of people do, you think of Florida, if you haven't lived there, people just think of Florida as Miami and what they see on TV. Florida is very Southern, okay? Florida is more Alabama than Miami in, in most places. So, <clears throat> excuse me, so I grew up in in the South where the, like I say, the, the separation of, of cultures and the racism was still very prevalent. Moving to Kansas City, my parents actually moved us into Southern Johnson County. And, um, you know, I walked in and went to Blue Valley North. And to, to say culture shock was an understatement initially, because I'm, I'm walking in with a mentality of where I came from, completely different here. Uh, and especially with that Blue Valley School District, because Blue Valley School District, a lot of the, what I'm not going to say there's not racism because there's racism everywhere, but the bigger qualifier in that school district was how much money was in your bank account. That was the separator. There was more conversation about going to college. We didn't really talk about going to college in Florida. The conversation was just being able to get out of school and get a degree because that was the challenge in the schools in Florida was getting kids to keep their grades up to even graduate. So I came to, to a Johnson County High School where they actually expected me to do homework and study and, and fill out college applications. It, it was like, what is this? Uh, you know, I go from being a straight A student to having to fight to be able to to even make the honor roll, it, it was a, a major shift. And then culturally, Kansas City versus an East Coast, just the mentality here is a lot more laid back. It's a lot, it's a lot friendlier. It's better. I always tell people it's a great place to raise a family, um, not nearly as aggressive and cutthroat. Understandable, understandable. That's my. That's been kind of my experience as well. Jumping around from New York to LA to Kansas City is like. At the end of the day, all of them have amazing things about them. But, you know, in terms of raising yeah. a family and not being super cutthroat and you having a little bit more peace, definitely uh, Kansas City is a good place to be, especially Johnson County. So um, so you mentioned, you know, which we'll get into, you know, you have a background in sports and, and, and business. So how did that, you know, early interest in sports and athletics come about? Were you playing football, soccer? Were you watching a lot of it growing up? Were there any inspirational athletic figures you looked up to that inspired you to want to be an involved, involved in sports? Can you talk about that a little bit? 
So this is something that we tell people in sports all the time that uh, kids have to see someone that look like them to aspire to be them. So I mentioned I grew up in Florida in, in the 70s, uh, mid to late 70s. The starting quarterback for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers was Doug Williams. So Doug Williams, to me, I had this vision of a quarterback being black because that was a starting quarterback that I grew up when I'm five years old. That's who I'm seeing on TV as the starting quarterback for my favorite team, because that's we lived in the in the Buccaneers TV area. So I grew up loving sports. Obviously, in, in South Florida, we had the Miami Hurricanes and Florida State Seminoles and the Gators. Everything was football crazy growing up down there. And originally, I grew up outside of Vero Beach. So we had spring training and Dodgers and baseball. So sports was just lived in Daytona. We had the NASCAR track running around. I didn't I ain't get too much into NASCAR, I'll be honest. <laughs> but it was still talked about in part of the culture. Um, so that was something that just drove me because a lot of people would tell you, if you're going to get out of the ghetto or the hood, your options were playing sports or going to the military. So I kind of gravitated to sports because I, I don't like guns and bullets. So I gravitated to sports. As I got older, though, um, and we may have had this conversation before, as I got older, I'm in the high school and my dad sits me down and says, hey, you know, you're not really fast enough, big enough, strong enough to go pro. Your mouth might get you in trouble, uh, but find something with your brain that you can do in sports if that's what you really want to do. Just because you're not the guy that's going to play on the field doesn't mean you can't be a part of sports. Now, of course, when I'm 14, 15 years old, I'm thinking, crazy old man, you don't know what you're talking about. Right, I'm, right. <laughs> I'm going to be a player. Uh, but that, that was the influence for me. So I had a cousin that actually played for the University of Miami. Um, won a couple of national championships with the Hurricanes, had an 11-year career in the NFL after that second-round draft pick. So when I'm getting ready to come out of high school, going to college, I'm going, hey, I'm, you know, I'm going to look at these applications, and maybe I'll go play football somewhere. Um, but I didn't, I didn't have all the on-field experience. I'd had a couple of injuries and never really played for the high school team. Um, at that point, but I'm just going, I got the genetics, right? I'm, I'm, I'm a football player. I get a letter from the University of Miami that says, we'd be happy to offer you a partial scholarship if you agree to tutor one of our student athletes. I'm like, I, I wanted to be one of the student athletes, not tutors. <laughs> uh, so at the same time, I'm getting a letter from UMKC saying, we'd like to offer you uh, full tuition scholarships to come based off of academics and, and speaking of that you know it, it, it seems as if you know when you arrived at you know blue valley you said blue valley north correct mm -hmm. so when you arrived there you're mentioning like the the expectations and what was you know the competition was more around academics more than anything so it seems that kind of you know uh really rubbed off on you because you end up getting offered a academic scholarship to UMKC as you're just mentioning. Absolutely. Absolutely. That was the big difference. So your sports teams at Blue Valley, when I was there, the first two seasons, our football team was terrible. 
Um, I, I always make the joke that we were great at country club sports, but not very good at, at football, basketball, baseball. Now, swimming and golf, we were competing at the state level every year, but in, in football, basketball, we weren't, those weren't the priorities. Uh, so in school, we were celebrated for being honor society. You were celebrated for getting academic scholarships. The athletes, and oddly enough, most of the top athletes at our school were also the guys on the honor roll because that was the priority that was placed on it in that environment. I think it was something like 90% of our graduating class ended up going on to some form of second education, whether that be a JUCO or or uh, or four-year school, but okay. went on to further schooling. Wow. It's just... And this is in 90, yeah, this is back in 91 when I'm graduating high school and they had that higher percentage, but that's because of where the emphasis was placed uh, in the culture you were surrounded. Man, that's, you know, that's something I'm sure, you know, coming from Florida and then also just for me and probably a lot of our listeners, something that we don't hear too much coming from the school districts we're coming from. It's like that, that type of expectation and that type of graduation rate moving on to secondary. It's pretty insane to hear that. But um, so you, you end up going to UMKC. So you make the decision to attend that university. What did you decide to study and what inspired, you know, that that degree path, that career path? Yeah, so I, I got a degree in accounting. Uh, and the reason I went into accounting was basically what I was told going into making the decision. I knew I wanted to go to the business school. So did I want to be in marketing? Did I want to be um, finance? Well, I landed on accounting because if you understand the numbers of the business, everything else off the business flows off of the numbers. You may be good in other places, but everything comes back to that balance sheet. Everything comes back to the income statement. If those things aren't in place, the rest of the business doesn't matter. You have the greatest marketing campaign in the world. If you can't cash flow, doesn't matter. So the idea was let's learn business from the inside out. And and it sounds strange, but like I say, from the culture that I was coming from, these are the conversations we're actually having with the guidance counselors. Uh, All right, this is what I want to do when I grow up. (coughs) Excuse me. How do I get there? And and this was, all right, well, if you want to be a CEO of a company someday, or you want to own your own business in accounting, you're going to learn these principles that are going to help you get there. And and, and then you're going to have a career path from there. Another thing with sports, oddly enough, that came in here at that time, there weren't a lot of sports management programs out there. So there wasn't a clear career path for sports. So the idea also was if I know business, business translates to everything. doesn't matter what your end product is. The business principles are still the same. Accounting gave you that foundation and that exposure that also led me to be able to go work for a public accounting firm right out of college. I uh, was in public accounting for five years where you get direct exposure to a lot of different businesses, a lot of different processes, and you really get to learn the, the pros and the cons of, of how to run your business every day. I love that. And would, and would you say that's kind of like the the foundation of 
everything you've done to date, you know, like being able to attend university and then that, that first position coming out and really understanding business from the inside out and especially understanding the numbers and how to understand, you know, unit economics, how to understand cost of goods, how to understand, you know, the, the P&L statements and how to write one up or how to analyze one. Would you say that's really, you know, been one of the most important, you know, foundational principles or, or learning periods, those first five years out of, out of school? Absolutely. So I worked for Arthur Anderson right out of college. And those who are old enough to, to know the story of Arthur Anderson and the eventual demise of Arthur Anderson will know why I say this. I used to tell people the best line item on my resume became the punchline of my resume because I went to work for Arthur Anderson. But the two best career decisions that I ever made also was the day I decided to go to work for Anderson and the day I decided to leave. Because what I learned during that time while I was there, I still use today. The, the principles of culture, the principles of how to run a business, the professionalism, everything about that. Some of the things that you're doing when you're in an accounting firm, law firms are, are similar to this as well. When you're worried about your billable hours, you're worried about your profitability, you're worried about your utilization. Right out of college, a first year associate in an accounting firm has to worry about all of that. Because if your numbers aren't where they are supposed to be at the end of that year, guess what? You get fired. This was not an environment where you could just come in and punch the clock. There was a up or out mentality in accounting firms. And if you weren't generating enough billable hours, you weren't around the next year. Uh, it wasn't a, hey, you can do better. It, it was, what's the result? What's the same in small business? It's the same in startups. It's the same when you're running a football team. If you're not winning, you're out. If you're not performing, you're out. I mean, you're, you're an entrepreneur. If, if you don't bring your money into the house, I'm pretty sure your landlord doesn't go, Carlos, that's okay, man. You can get me next month. Right. That's not how it works, right? <laughs> hey. Right. So that, that was a great foundation and a great learning because then that gets instilled in you of, hey, I got to perform every day and I got to be out there thinking about the principles that drive business because I am basically a business. I'm the partners it. at the top of the firm didn't care. They're going to hire 20 new ones the next year anyway. So yeah. I love that. I love that. And, and you have quite a few years of experience in branding and branding is super important to, to business overall, especially, I feel like it's a word that we hear so much now with social media and all these, you know, business influencers on the internet. We hear branding this, branding that, branding this, branding that. This is my brand. I own a brand. I got this brand, right? So we hear that word so much, but what is, what does branding really mean? What does it mean to you? And what are like some foundational principles of branding that you apply to some of the businesses that you've worked for or that you've created? Yeah. Branding does get overused. And sometimes I think it gets lost because people hear it so much, but it is vitally important. Your brand is what people know you as, what they recognize you as. So why would you not take the time to pay attention to making sure that it's crafted correctly? Your business, you as an individual, all of it's super important. 
we associate with brands not only just because we like them, because also we aspire to be them. So I always say, <coughs> excuse me, uh, that's not COVID, by the way. That's just allergies. So in case y'all are <laughs> wondering, I'm, I'm good. We're safe over here. Yeah, yeah, you're good. <laughs> um, I always tell people part of, of what I, I say is that you have to go after what you want. And I say that want is a, a four-letter acronym that I use and live by. That's your work ethic, your attitude, your network, and then the team you surround yourself with. All of those are components of your brand. And if people don't see that brand in you, you're not going to attract the things that you want. So to me, that foundation that you have to put in the place, yes, it has to attract, but it also has to give out the same message that you want people to receive. You want them to be able to see this is who I am, this is what I stand for. I think where people get it a little confused right now with social media is they have a hard time separating business from personal. So if I'm creating a brand on social media and I want that brand to represent my business, I got to be careful what I'm putting out there on social media. I got to be careful what comments I'm making. I got to be careful about how much I'm even showing of my family or my social activities because people aren't going to separate your brand. What they see is what they're going to take as your brand. So whatever you're willing to put out there on social media, understand every piece of that people are going to attribute to your brand and you're the one that controls the brand. I love that. Uh, I love that. So one, one other quick thing before you ask your next question, I grew up, like say, I, I grew up in South Florida in the market with Tampa Bay Buccaneers, late seventies, early eighties. Back then the NFL's blackout rules applied so Tampa Bay home games were blacked out a lot, which means we got the national game. And back then it was the Dallas Cowboys. So I ended up being a Dallas Cowboy fan growing up because that's who I saw on TV as much as I saw the Buccaneers. I saw the Dallas Cowboys, maybe even more. And the Dallas Cowboys always has been one of those recognizable brands and did such a great job of branding themselves over the years, even when they would go one in 15, their ticket prices were still the highest. The Dallas Cowboy cheerleaders were still the most famous. We all still wanted to watch Jimmy Johnson and Jerry Jones and Troy Aikman, even though Troy Aikman's first year in the league, he didn't even win a game, but he was still selling jerseys like crazy because he was with the Dallas Cowboys. They understood marketing and branding and did it better than anybody else in the NFL. Some teams have caught up to them, but they're still America's team 30, 40 years later. We still all recognize that blue star when we see it on the helmet and kids strive for it, even if they're not from Dallas. They, they've done a great job of it. I love that. That's actually hilarious because what I was going to do is my next question was actually around that was I was like, well, when we speak about branding and we speak about sports and connecting those to your experiences, you know, Dallas Cowboys have done a great job. That's just one football team. But how did you take, you know, 
the those principles you just shared and that that framework how did you take that and apply that to some of the positions you had in the sporting industry when it comes to some of the arena and indoor football leagues and before mm -hmm. you answer that question can you kind of share some of the teams you've worked with and then obviously go ahead and uh transition into <laughs> the, yeah yeah <clears throat> yeah so i did get the opportunity my first job in pro sports was working for that cousin that i mentioned that played for the university of miami um which I will tell you one of the, the greatest moments in my early sports career, he played for the Cowboys for one season and I went down one week and I'm, I'm at the team hotel and I get my receipt when I'm checking into the hotel and it's got Reggie Harris and Dallas Cowboys. Uh, on the receipt. That was, yeah, that's one of those pinnacle moments. And I actually got to meet Jerry Jones um, later. My first job as general manager was with the Kansas City Brigade in the Arena Football League. And our first game ever happened to be at the Dallas Desperados, which was then owned by Jerry Jones and the Dallas Cowboys. So here it is. I've grown up this Cowboys fan and love sports, want to be around all of these things. And I walk out onto the field as first time general manager, first game ever. I got my suit on and I'm walking down the uh, end zone and look up. Jerry Jones's son, Stephen, ran a lot of the uh, the franchises back then. He called my name, and here's Jerry standing there with his hand reached out. Glad to have you guys in the league. Have a good game today. I love it. I love it. Pen I don't know if I even said a word, actually. but <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Um, so, to your point, so I worked for the Kansas City Brigade. It was my first um, – team in the Arena Football League. I also worked with San Antonio Talons uh, here in Kansas City, the Kansas City Phantoms, which played out in Independence. And then most recently was with the Cedar Rapids River Kings in the Indoor Football League and have done consulting for a number of other ball clubs in between that time frame as well. One of the things that I brought into that experience from that branding and marketing standpoint, 2006 was our first season with the Kansas City Brigade and the Kansas City Chiefs model of branding. So this is something that a lot of people today don't remember. When I moved to Kansas City in 1987, first NFL game that I ever went to actually was at Arrowhead Stadium, uh, Chiefs versus the Browns, opening day. And my dad comes to me and says, hey, you want to go out to, uh, to the Chiefs game today? And I'm going, it's it's the opener. You can't buy a ticket the day of the opener. So, yeah, let, let's let's go out there and see. And we were like 12 rows up from the field, midfield, that we bought from the box office 30 minutes before kickoff. That's crazy. That was Kansas City in 1987. But then they went out and hired a guy named Carl Peterson, who brought Marty Schottenheimer with him. And they changed the culture. And Carl Peterson brought this environment of we're going to create this college football environment. What is now today the Chiefs Kingdom started off with a branding effort from Carl Peterson. Carl branded the Chiefs to where we believed that this was our team. They cared about our community. We got fully invested into the Kansas City Chiefs. I don't believe Carl Peterson was really all that bothered 
that they didn't win a Super Bowl. Of course, he wanted to win a Super Bowl, but the priority was to put a product on the field and create an entertainment environment to where people wanted to be at that game. It was the must-see event every week out at that stadium. So we took that and we translated it into arena football. Now our time of year is a little different. So our first um, our first game is in March, February timeframe. It's freezing outside. We have our first home game, commissioners in town. And uh, I remember getting, because I typically get to the arena three, four hours before kickoff. That's when my game day started at the arena. And the commissioners said, hey, what's going on outside? What are you talking about? So we walk up there and he's going, your parking lot, it's just two and a half hours before kickoff. Why is your parking lot half full and people have grills? What are they doing? It's 20 degrees outside. Like, Welcome to Kansas City. Right. So we borrowed a lot of those same branding things from what I saw the Chiefs doing and applied them to us in, in arena football. <clears throat> we always say with arena football, or I always say, and I, I stole this line, but I've used it more, so I take credit for it. Arena football was always, to me, a rock concert that a football game broke out at. I wanted to entertain you and show you a good time, whether or not we won or lost the game. And I also wanted to be in the community and I wanted you to see my players, coaches and staff out in the community, because if we did that and you felt just like with the Chiefs, this is a team for the community, you'll come out. So that first season, we sold out Kemper Arena three times. Wow, wow. I love it. So it worked. <laughs> it worked. It absolutely worked. And, and uh, we, we actually probably were the last um sporting i'm sure we were the last sporting event to sell out camper arena before sprint opened and, and all the events started leaving there um and we only won three games that season by the way we went three and 13 that year and we sold out our last home game of the season i love it i love it and that that shows you that that shows you the power of creating you know community at the end of the day and a lot of the ways that community is created is through how you you know market yourself as a as a business and how you how you look how, what your image looks like from the outside you know when people are learning about you at the get-go so I love that so I do want to transition into talking about Bubba Kush so yes. ladies and gentlemen I want you guys to listen closely because this is something new this is something fresh and this is what you need to tap into for today also, ladies and gentlemen, we got Tony on the call. I'm not going to make you talk, Tony, but I just seen your face up there, and I just wanted to say shout out to Tony because he helped put this together as well. Um, but let's talk about Bubba Kush. So co-founder, CEO, where did – how did Bubba Kush enter your life? When did this – when did this – when was this idea born, and how was it brought to you? Interestingly enough, uh, COVID hit – and the team I'm running up in Cedar Rapids, Iowa, our, our season gets suspended. I'm on my way driving home from Iowa, not knowing what's next. I mean, we were all in that state of turmoil. Uh, and I get a phone call from one of the guys that used to be around back in the 
Kansas City Arena football days. And he says, I, I want to introduce you to this guy, Bubba Cush. And my first response was, man, that sounds really familiar, but I don't know why. He goes, well, it's one of the most popular strains of, of marijuana out there. I hadn't smoked before. So my response was, mm, no, that, that can't be it. And he goes, okay, well, do you ever listen to hip hop? Like, of course, yeah. I mean, I've been in sports. How can I not listen to hip hop? Um, you know, well, it's been mentioned in a dozen different songs. Like, okay, well, maybe that, that's where the, the connection is. So I was curious then, okay, why do I need to talk to this guy that's got the most popular strain of weed? Well, the idea was uh, Bubba was wanting to release a spray, a CBD spray, and wanted to create a sports division. So he needed to take his brand from what had been black market. We don't talk about, we don't spread it. Now he wants to take it mainstream, national. How do we tie that brand with something like sports and create a brand that could then go national? <coughs> Excuse me. So the, the opportunity, I, I, I gotta say, I was not initially just all fired up going, this is the greatest thing ever. <laughs> because again, I'm worried about my personal brand. Right. So my, my first reaction is, can I associate my brand with a marijuana company? Even though our lead product was CBD, which was being pitched to me, uh, that's legal in all 50 states and uh, a product that had health benefits and people were celebrating at the time, Gronkowski was talking about um, he had just retired from the Patriots. For the 40th. Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, but even with that, there was still a little bit of a stigma around the industry. So I had to, to take a step back and say, is this something that really fits who I am that I could put my name to and associate with? Um, so I started calling around and talking to a few people to get their opinions and their advice. And one of the things I found was I was always known as a player's GM. Always wanted to help the players once they left the game, help them with their lives, wanted to make sure that they understood you're, you're not just a piece of meat. Mm -hmm. At some point, you're going to stop playing football. You need to have skills, all these type things. Well, I started talking to some of my former players and realized how many of them used CBD and also cannabis for recovery, used it to control anxiety, used it to improve their quality of life. They were, there were guys that I ran into that told me stories where they could not function if it weren't for CBD that they were taking every day. And they didn't want to be on the narcotics because the narcotics gave them a feeling that that didn't work for them. So for me, my brand has always been about helping people, presenting something that improves quality of life. And I've always been about the players. So now I've got this product being brought to me with a historical brand. Boba Kush has been around 25 years. Hard to believe that, but Boba Kush came out 25 years ago. Matt Boba Berger discovered this strain um, while he was hanging out with Cypress Hill. Uh, 
that that product and that brand has stood the test of time. So it's got tenants already built into it that is a brand, but it had never been cultivated and it had never been actually groomed. So that was the opportunity. Um, and I got my business partner, Steve, to come in and take a look at it as well and say, yeah, there is an opportunity to take this brand that has all the basic building blocks, but just has never been connected and go to a whole nother level with it. I love it. I love it. Ladies and gentlemen, before we go on a deeper dive into Bubble Kush, I want you guys to go get some water. I want you guys to go get some, some H2O, go get some food, go look Bubba Kush up right now. You know what I'm saying? Maybe you have some, some gummy sitting around the house. Go do what you need to do. We're going to take a quick ad break and we'll be back in two seconds. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. Hopefully you got yourself some water, some snacks. Don't get Cheetos. Don't get Doritos. Get a banana and some bell peppers because it's good for you. And you know, we promote health over here. So as we were talking about, we just introduced Bubble Kush to you guys, and we have my next question, which is, what's your process and framework that you're going to apply when it comes to branding and marketing with Bubble Kush? Are you taking the same principles that we just talked about earlier when, with the sports teams and with um, you know other positions you've had and taking that same experience and pushing it into Bubble Kush, or is there a whole new model you plan on approaching um, Bubble Kush with? that makes sense yeah yeah a lot of similarities uh the biggest difference is now we're dealing with a consumer product so it is a slightly different mindset when you're dealing with a consumer product versus selling a, an, an event let's say because with an event you know i'm planning to get you to show up at the arena eight times where with the consumer product i want you to be consuming it all the time I, I really want you going out buying something monthly, something that becomes part of your everyday life. So the, the brand message has got to be a little bit more personal and it's got to be a little more, I, I don't know if personal is the right word. It, it's recreation when I'm talking about a team where when I'm talking about Bubba Kush, I'm talking about how you feel. I'm talking about health. I'm talking about wellness. We always talk, we use the term elevate your wellness. And so I'm, it's, it's deeper than just the social aspects and entertainment. So when I talk about arena football, I say it's a rock concert that a football game broke out at. With Bubba Kush, we're almost doing the exact opposite because the cannabis industry has been known for years as hey, it's Friday, I'm going to go get high and I'm going to kick back. That's not what we are actually doing with Bubba Kush. We're talking about a wellness platform to where it's more about your, your health and, and your abilities in, in living a better quality of life. So now I'm taking it out of recreation and I'm taking it into what's your personal, how does this help you deal with your anxiety? How does it help you? I, I tell people, you, you know, when you, you hit 45 is when you can go to bed completely alone by yourself, completely healthy and wake up the next morning injured. <laughs> so how do I get rid of those aches and pains? What am I doing to help that? What is it that is going to drive that? 
but then at the same time, there are some tenets of the brand message that does have to also go along with high quality. We got to go along with aspiring for a higher quality of life and kind of that aspirational, where do you want to be? Where do you want to go? Here's a product that helps you with that as well, helps your quality of life. So there are some tenets of it that are the same. Uh, and you go through the same evaluation process when you sit down to figure out what is the right brand message. And we went through the process of, of sitting in a room and going, who is Bubba Kush? What, what does that, kind of like I said with your earlier about your personal, who do you want people to know you are? We have to do that with the brand too. The brand has that same individual branding and, and importance as well. I love it. I love it. And, you know, a lot of times when people join a business or they decide to start a business, one of the big reasons that they fail is they didn't quite understand the purpose behind what they were doing. They didn't really under, they didn't really value what they were doing. So what is it about the brand that you really value? What is it about Bubba Kush that you really connect with on a personal level that helps, you know, drive you every day to come into the office and continue to work on building this brand and, and, and connecting a community to it and continuing the growth of, you know, the products and, and how people look at Bubba Kush. What is it that draws you yourself to it? Yeah, again, it, it goes back to that helping people and providing better quality of life. <clears throat> a lot of people look at the cannabis industry as it's emerging right now as this, they call it the green rush. Everybody's running to the money. If you're in this business just to make money, you can do that, but you're in it for the wrong reasons. The business has to be about what it's doing for the customer base and the people that you're selling to. I'm a strong believer, and I tell people every year I go through an evaluation where I sit down and say, do I enjoy what I'm doing, and is it making a difference? And if I can't answer yes to those two questions, I immediately start looking for, for my next opportunity. So with Bubba Kush, I'm looking for how is this going to help people? How is it going to help the community? How does it help you feel better, perform better, higher quality? How am I able to deliver that to people who may not have had the ability to do that before? A lot of people... We'll, we'll talk about the pain medications and the prescriptions and those type things. So we're not allowed to say in the cannabis industry, we can't come out and make medical claims, right? You can't make medical claims with vitamins either. What we can tell you is here are the things that our product may help you with, or you may see results from this. So we come out and, and we're educating people on, hey, there may be an alternative to you taking opioids. This may help you maybe not take as much. I'm not saying that I'm going to eliminate all prescriptions. That's not the goal. The goal is to help you live a healthier lifestyle, a more fulfilling lifestyle. Um, go ahead. I love that. I love that. I wanted to ask, you know, with, with, you know, for people to be able to understand that, especially with the new brand, how are you getting in contact with potential customers or potential interested people? Like what are, 
what are, are you guys throwing events? Are you guys, you know, who are some key partners? Like, what are you guys doing to build awareness around Bubba Kush, especially in the Kansas City area where you guys are currently kind of based out of? Right. And you're catching us right at the beginning of that. So we've just started really launching our social media campaign and some of our uh, marketing efforts. It is going to be very heavy event based. Some of the restrictions around the industry force that. I mean, it's really a, a personal one-to-one -one type thing that you have to do to, to get the message out in some cases. Um, some of the things that you will see us doing, however, <coughs> excuse me, we're going to collaborate and we're looking to work with even some of the colleges and universities so that we can go out and educate students on the proper uses, how this is uh, meant to be used, but also talk about some of the entrepreneurial aspects of things as well. Talk about building a business and, and starting from the ground up. So we're actively doing those type things. We have some former pro athletes that are part of our group as well that are acting as ambassadors and they're carrying the message, sharing it with their followers and sharing their stories, telling their stories of what they went through. Because a lot of folks haven't heard the real stories of how CBD and even cannabis has impacted the, the athlete community. Um, you'll notice a lot of leagues are no longer testing for it, but why is that? And telling that story is, is something that's that's been very beneficial for us and allowing other people to, to say why this helped them. I love it. I love it. And I, I have some two relatively tough questions just because I know that it it, it'll come up, you know, just from people who listen to this. And I've, you know, when I'm with my friends, especially in the black community, and we're talking about these topics and companies, you know, coming out and, you know, I know you guys are on the branding and marketing side more, but, you know, dispensaries and all this money rushing into this industry. I have two questions. So I'll start, I'll start with the first one. The first one is how do we approach the conversation around cannabis marijuana when we're when we're interacting with you know high school students because at the you know at the end of the day it's so much popularized in in, in culture and hip-hop culture but it's also been demonized so much over the past right. before before the past five years right it's been demonized so it's it's been put in our heads and into the fabric of society that it's terrible it's bad it's associated with negative things so how do we approach young people and have this conversation around the health benefits and and wellness benefits and how they can approach it safely i know i know that's not your guys's expertise at bubble kush but what, what's your what's your thought process on that yeah so our products are primarily for those uh 18 and older right but there are those in high school that could benefit from like our CBD products um, because of the anxiety that, that our kids are facing, the depression that they're fighting, those type things. So that narrative is very difficult right now. And I have a high school student right now, myself, 15 year old daughter, and we have this conversation. Yeah, <laughs> yeah we, we have this conversation frequently and, and she uses CBD um, for some of her anxiety issues, uh, but I have intentionally told her the difference between CBD and cannabis and not putting cannabis in a negative light, but explaining to her, just like there are medications that we don't give to children, there are remedies and solutions that are out there for the right reasons. So 
someone that has cancer may benefit from consuming cannabis because it will help them with their appetite. If you're a high school student and you're having anxiety issues, your cannabinoid system could be balanced just by CBD. You could be getting those benefits from that product. So it's an educational thing too, to where this is not just getting high. This is about what can I do to help you feel better? If there's nothing wrong with you, why would you be smoking marijuana if you're in high school? It's probably not the proper use, not, not the best. So I'm a little different in this than most people in the industry because a lot of folks are all about recreation. I, I will never tell somebody that they should not recreationally smoke because I believe that this plant is healthier than drinking alcohol. And I drink alcohol all the time and nobody says anything about it. And I do it for recreation. I never drink alcohol just cause, oh, my shoulders hurt. And so. <laughs> yeah. Let me grab some tequila, right? <laughs> all right, right. That's not the conversation and it's not healthy. So if you smoke for your recreation and relaxation, I'm not the one to tell you not to do that. But I will tell you that there does have to be some type of restrictions and it's not just some free for all where we're now going to just start have everybody smoking and and now it's not it's not like that it, it still needs to be controlled and contained just like we do with with alcohol you still need to watch and monitor and not just carb watch moderation in all things right yeah um so my, my follow-up question or secondary question was the, the conversation around mass incarceration of individuals who were arrested, you know, for having a small amount or a certain amount of, of marijuana on them in the past. And now they're serving 10 to 15 to 20 or more years, unfortunately. And yeah. now hundreds and hundreds of companies across the country are profiting in the millions and billions of dollars. And of course, the community's not extremely happy about that, especially because of the individuals who are profiting. So um, what's your approach to that? Is there anything that Bubba Kush plans to do in terms of social awareness or, or conversation around that topic? And even if not, what's your approach to that and your thought process around that while working for a company who's in the industry? Yeah, we do a lot around social awareness and, and dealing with the community at Bubba Kush. That, that's one of the things that we embrace. Um, you know, we like to point out the fact that we have an African-American CEO and, and owner it's very unique in this industry. Um, and sometimes I'm the, I'm the last one that wants to point that out and draw attention to it because of just society. You know, I don't want to be the, the <laughs> you're always concerned that you'll be the first black guy to do anything, right? I don't ever want to be that. I, I just want to be Reggie. Um, but the reality is the neighborhoods and our community, people with black and brown skin have been unfairly and unequally prosecuted over this plant over the years. And there, there is a, a social justice component to this where that education needs to be there and there needs to... 
I don't know how you, you immediately reverse that. Um, and that's gonna take a lot of work and take a lot of education. But these individuals that are sitting in jail for something that people are now making millions and millions of dollars off of in the same state too. I'm not even talking about where in a, you're in a state where it's still illegal. You could be sitting in a state where this is 100% legal and recreational, and you got a guy sitting in jail for something he did 10 years ago before it became legal. Um, there has to be, how do you get that person re-entered into society? There has to be some of that expungement from the record type things. There has to be a, a, a reach out of helping build and better those uh, who have been unfairly targeted by that. We embrace it. I'm never going to just run out and say that you should give me something because I'm black, because I don't believe that. Right. right. I love that. Yeah, I agree. But what I will tell you is... I feel like I owe it to the other kids out there that are black and brown that don't see people. Remember that I'll tie it all the way back to Doug Williams when I said the reason that I thought about being a quarterback in the NFL was because I saw a black quarterback in the NFL. Yes. Mm -hmm. If our kids don't see black CEOs, black business owners, if they don't see that and understand I can run a cannabis company and not be a drug dealer. I'm not a thug. I'm not doing something illegal. I'm not doing something against the law. I'm not hiding out in darkness. I'm not on the street corner peddling. I can be a 100% businessman with a college degree, college educated, living in whatever community I wanna live in because I can afford to and be a black man if they don't ever see that how do you aspire to it 100 percent, and th and that's what the podcast is all about so i'm really glad that you said that right there because i just want to remind the audience regardless of what the color of your skin listening is right now really the whole intention of this podcast is to interview individuals in a various you know diverse amount of of career fields doing awesome things that you know have been educated to think that they can't do that because they only can play sports or they can only be a rapper, um, especially in our community. Obviously, you know, this, this, this conversation also goes to women and, and, and Latinos and Asians as well. And we all have, you know, boxes we've been put into by society. But the whole intention of this podcast is to give the young people and people who are 27 still trying to find themselves, right, um, the, the inspiration to understand that it's possible to, to do whatever you want to do, really. And so I love that you mentioned that. Reggie, I want to ask you, if you were in my seat right now, what's one question that you think I should have asked you? What's one question that you think I missed? Wow. Um, that's a tough one. I like that one. Um, what's next? What's next, what's, Reggie? What's next? Yeah, yeah. what's next? Because I feel like I, I'm 48 years old. I used to be one of those guys that didn't, didn't think past 35. Now I'm 48 and I appreciate it because I understand how rare that is to be uh, a black male, 48 years old, college educated, never been arrested, never been to jail. What's next is going to be 
not only building this and taking it to a level that nobody's ever seen in the cannabis industry before, because we're going to build a brand that nobody's ever been able to do in cannabis the way that we're going to do it. We're going to build a, a brand that everybody's going to look back five years from now and go, oh, snap, that's what a brand in cannabis is. But I'm going to bring a lot of people along with me in the process. And that is what's next for me. At 48, I've done... I mean, I have stories for days. I've lived an incredible life. So now it's about how do I take this and leave the legacy for others to repeat? I love that. I love that so much. Reggie, my final question for you today is it's your last day on earth, right? You're 177 years old. You're sitting at a, at a dinner table and you have your great, great grandkids in front of you. Um, you know, you may have written thousands of books. You might have a documentary about you might have the legacy of, of the companies you've built. But unfortunately, that has to all leave with you when you leave this earth. So you only get to leave your great grandchildren sitting in front of you right now with one paragraph sentence as a piece of advice. What are you going to tell them? Always be true to yourself. Because at the end of the day, all you have is what you stand for, what you believe in, and what you're willing to die on that mountain for. So be true to yourself. Everything else will take care of it. I love it. Authenticity is key. The Culture Talks, ladies and gentlemen, this is Reggie Harris of Bubba Kush, CEO and co-founder please go check out the brand. So Reggie, before we head out today, can you share social media accounts, websites, where can they find more about the Bubba Kush brand as well as you and your personal? Yeah, BubbaKush.co is our website. Uh, social media accounts are Bubba Kush certified. That's uh, Instagram as well as on Facebook. Um, if you want to follow me on, on Instagram, it's Playbook Expert goes back to my sports days so at playbook expert on instagram and uh facebook as well you can uh, you can find a page at playbook expert so best place go check us out bubbacush.co and we'll, we'll look and see you down the road i love it ladies and gentlemen thank you for listening make sure you leave a five-star review Share with your friends, like, comment, as that is the only way we can grow. Any of you guys who have been rocking with us for the past two years, for the past 80 plus episodes, I'm really appreciative of you and I continue to be appreciative of you. Thank you, Reggie. Thank you, Tony, for putting this together as well. Bubba Kush, let's go to the moon. Let's have a blessed day, ladies and gentlemen.